Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And this is Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. We are a weekly podcast that explores the production, reception, and history of your favorite video games. We develop and produce the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. From your arcade favorites to major AAA titles to that indie game you just can't put down, Finish the Fight has you covered. Check us out on Instagram at Finish the Fight Podcast and find us wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We decide every day how we're going to interpret something we did in the past and how it's going to define us. Sorry for repeating myself, but this is... I think the essence of human condition in general, you know, like how do these fucking societal systems and our relationships to other people define us as a person? Can we change that? Like what changes the nature of men? Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Uh, first, uh, The first thing we want to do today is we want to give a big thank you to anyone who tuned in live to our Uplink 2021 presentation on February 20th. Uh, Spencer and I were both pretty nervous, uh, but we had a lot of fun doing our first ever live episode, and mm-hmm. we're already plotting and scheming about the the next one. Uh, we want to oh, yeah. want to try it again. Want to get those nerves going <laughs> again. Definitely, the fire has been lit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was super fun. It was a fast hour. Um, mm-hmm. I, I we had a really awesome conversation about gaming through the pandemic. Um, it was also like a very <laughs> literal. And figurative bubble. We were we were both in our bubbles at home podcasting, <laughs> and we were also in somewhat of a bubble in the live stream just because um, we couldn't actually see if anyone like they they concealed the numbers of audience members as a, in an effort to like encourage people to go to panels they might not go to if it has a low number or whatever. But the inverse of that is that we had no, it was like talking to a wall. Which was great because that's what we do every week. Um, well, we were just talk talking to, each, to each, other. each other, but it yeah. was like this weird thing of like it, it was almost like having a conversation in front of like one of those like two way mirrors or whatever. Like we really have no idea <laughs> yeah. if there's someone on the other side or not, but we think there might be. So <laughs> we like yeah. are aware of potentially being perceived, but not confident that we are. Uh, it was great to get those LOL emoji reacts from Dan in the chat. Uh, we had an <laughs> audience member named Dan. Shout out. Thanks for thanks for those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah, so anyway, it was fun. We're going to do it again. We're thinking about Twitch and stuff, and uh, we'll be sure to tell everyone what we got coming up when, when it's coming up. Um, but the next thing I want to highlight today is that it is a new month. It is March. And so it is time to thank our February Patreon monthly shout outs. We've got the three musketeers. We've got Yenka, the original clutch companion, Val and Jane. Thank all three of you for your undying support 
of our podcast. We really appreciate it. Great things come in threes. I don't know what other good things come in mm-hmm. threes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the things, all the things that come in threes. <laughs> oh no. The Assassin's Creed trilogy. That's three. Oh yeah, Tr- um, trilogies in general, right? The original Star trilogies. Wars trilogy. <laughs> All trilogies. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a trilogy. <laughs> the the best trilogy. The most holy of trilogies. Uh, let's leave it at that. If you want to uh, get <laughs> your name in the credits, like our friends Yinka, Val, and Jane, head over to Patreon.com/slash/PixelTherapyPod and check out our plethora of perks. That started just $2 a month, which gets you a monthly bonus episode. Uh, that monthly bonus episode is just Spencer and I, just the two of us, just yeah, the way just God time. intended. <laughs> Deep diving. <laughs> we can't, okay. <laughs> this is a very queer trans podcast. Um, we are not, I guess I was raised Roman Catholic, so it's just yeah, very same. Deep, deep in there. But yeah. uh, for the, the amount we've mentioned, God and um, stuff, I just want to wanna... praise be to our Lord and Savior, <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, who died on the cross Thanks, for our Jesus. sins. Oh, yeah, it's his time. That's right. Um, it, anyone observing Lent, hey, uh, more power to you. Uh, keep on keeping on. And Jesus, thanks for your sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Get those fish fillets on Fridays. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> so our Patreon episodes are Spencer and I deep diving on topics that tickle <laughs> our fancies. Maybe they'll tickle yours. In February, we discussed our all-time favorite video game crushes, and you might be surprised to learn that they were not all human. So Mm-mm. come check it out. If you're a fan. Don't let Jesus hear that part. <laughs> <laughs> Just mute it for Jesus right there. If you're a fan of what we do on Pixel Therapy, and good Lord, how could you not be? And you have a few bucks to spare. We'd really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a few bucks to spare or you're just not a fan, why are you listening to this? Uh, but also no worries because you'll keep getting your biweekly dose of pixel therapy for free wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Mm-hmm. Enough goofing around, Spencer. We got serious topics to discuss today. So let's get cozy. Very serious. Let's pull up an armchair and, you know, feel free to lie down on your couch. Let's talk about our feelings. I love when you strong arm me into I love when you strong arm our audience into laying down on the couch. Get on your fucking couch! <laughs> yeah. Not playing around over here. Uh, are you soothed? Yeah. Are you fucking soothed? Um, Spencer, how are, you, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, we're recording this on a Saturday and I, I've actually taken Monday and Tuesday off of work just for a little mental health break. Um, I've been hitting that old pandemic wall. Um, I found that like the weekends aren't, don't really feel like enough rest. Yeah. Um, you feel that too? Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. It's just like, right, right. I don't know. There's something about, it just feels like a constant onslaught lately. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to really, I've never really done this before. Like I've, I've never really had to be intentional around my relaxation time. Like mm. it used to be very easy for me to just move into the weekend. Um, I don't know if it's because my workspace is the same as my living space and, and also is also my sleeping space because I've been having trouble sleeping. And so I usually spend half the night in bed and then half the night on the couch. And so I don't know if it's just like all kind of merging together and it's affecting yeah. my ability to chill. Um, but I'm going to be really intentional about, I have a few books um, 
piled up that I want to start reading and I'm really going to try to just read. I've heard from a few folks, um, especially folks who are super online, <laughs> like, <laughs> like me and you, um, that there's something about reading. I don't know if it's because it's so analog or because of the, uh, at least for folks who are using physical books, the sort of tactile nature of being grounded with the object in your hand, touching the page, focusing on the lines of text. Um, I've talked to a couple of different folks who have independently mentioned to me that they find it to be a very uh, meditative and uh, rewarding and soothing in a way that other like other things like TV or even games um, help with relaxation. So I'm really going to try reading. Um, I bought this book. It's called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Oh, yeah. It's by Jason Schreier. Yep. Um, the triumphant, turbulent stories behind how video games are made. So um, checking that out, and I'll let y'all know how that goes. But um, that's a good. Yeah. That's a good book. I read that a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, some interesting we'll stuff in there. Yeah. Um, how are you? Uh, I am also hitting that pandemic wall. I think. Yeah. Uh, I just. I'm also like really struggling to find uh, my next game. I've been mm. hopping between so many different things and like nothing's quite clicking. And I've just like, was it Thursday night? I just, I, it was like nine o'clock at night and I just felt so bored. I was mm. like, I feel like I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Cause nothing sounded did you? interesting to do. I, you were able I, to fall asleep. I went, <laughs> I, I went and laid down and like listened to music for a couple hours and just did mm. nothing. And, that felt nice. But yeah, I've just mm. been feeling very like, I don't even know what to do my, with myself. I'm so sick of just like wandering around my two-bedroom apartment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I need space to tinker. Yeah, something. I don't know. I, I would love to just be able to like fucking go into work. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. But like the idea of just going into the office and having a quote-unquote mm. normal day of work sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that resonates. Yeah, I've been getting really into this subreddit. Just when you talked about laying down and listening to music, it's r slash listening spaces. Um, and I guess I'm sure, I'm sure people. I mean, I know people have been creating listening spaces for a long, long time. But I think it's seen an uptick during the pandemic where folks are really being intentional around creating um, a space in their home. Um, that's equipped for nothing more than sitting there and, and listening to music, whether it's mm. a record player or just, you know, traditional CDs, Bluetooth, what have you. Mm-hmm. There's just usually this common trend of the music is displayed in some way. The centerpiece of the, of the area is the music playing device. And then the rest of the space is about creating a certain scene of comfort, ease, a lot of soft, warm earth tones and chairs and blankets and things like that. Um, but it makes me think about how uh, I feel like music, listening to music, like reading can be very grounding too. If you're doing it in a very intentional space where you're like settling in and you are specifically there to listen to the music and just let your mind go wherever it wants to go. Like that's a lot, that's basically meditation. So yeah. Um, in some ways I wonder if I've like, what I've, 
I'm feeling I'm classifying as boredom, but I wonder if it's mm. being triggered because I've been like overstimulating myself. Like I realized I've been listening to podcasts mm. like nonstop, sometimes even while I'm working. So I'll be like replying to emails and listening to a podcast at the same oh time, which is just like, I don't, I don't feel, I probably shouldn't be splitting my brain that way or like, yeah, I'll constantly <laughs> have podcasts or like Twitch streams going. So there's just always yeah. someone talking. And at first I thought that was like comforting because otherwise it's just the silence of my apartment. Since my partner still goes to work. But now I wonder if I like, yeah, because then I was playing, um, I played Spyro over the weekend. I played mm, Spyro Year nice. of the Dragon because it was a short game and an easy platinum. And I just wanted something that I felt like I could tick off of a list. Yeah. I just like needed that. Um, and that's a very checklisty kind of game with lots of cartoon colors and your little dragon little purple dragon yeah it's you know it's just a fun little platformer and it's not very Mm. difficult um so i was playing that and listening to podcasts at the same time and yeah i wonder if i just like overdid it so now i'm trying to just like sit down and play a game and it's like my brain is like i'm bored (laughs) i can't engage because there isn't enough going on so like i kind of need to hit the reset button bro i don't know there's something going on there like this morning i (laughs) woke up at like Well, I was up at like four, but I tried to go back to sleep a little bit. Woke up at five, made breakfast, and just, it was snowing quite heavily this morning. Like big, blankety uh, dollops of snow. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't even like little flakes. It was these big chunks falling out of the sky. Big boys. Um, And I just stood out the window and ate my breakfast sandwich and felt the, the cold air sort of seeping in around the edges of the window, touching my skin and just looking out that window and not hearing or necessarily like worrying about anything else was really soothing. So I think there's something to this idea of just turning off some of the constant content streams that we've been hit with. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought I was helping myself, but I, yeah, I guess not. Mm -hmm. Speaking of constant streams of information, though, there, <laughs> there have been some uh, exciting um, – there's some exciting gaming news that came out this week that um, I thought might be cool to take a minute to talk about. Um, but, like, one thing that happened last week, and I think you actually watched it. I, unfortunately, had meetings at the time that it was going on, but Nintendo had um, a stream where they were doing a bunch of announcements, which they don't do very often. Is that correct? Uh, so – Yes and no. They mm. they had what they call a Nintendo Direct, which is their official, like, it, it's like they're, they do these e-conferences every so often, but they hadn't done an official Nintendo Direct in over a year. And they had one of those last week, and everyone was kind of meh about it. There wasn't anything. Mm. The big announcement, like the big splash everybody was waiting for was uh, for us to finally see Breath of the Wild 2. And mm-hmm. they like faked everybody out in what I thought was like a really <laughs> shitty way. They were trying to, they were clearly trying to do it right, and they just did it wrong. They they mm-hmm. cut to the like director of Breath of the Wild two, and he's sitting there. He's like, I know everyone's interested in information about Breath of the Wild two. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're interested. And it's also <laughs> like near the end of the presentation, so everyone's like on the edge yeah. of their seats, like here it is, get ready. And then he's like, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. we don't have any information to share at this time. And it was just like, are you? fucking me like you couldn't have put that in a fucking email like (laughs) um so i I don't know i watched that presentation last week i think it was last week and was not 
uh, particularly impressed by it. But then it was Pokemon's anniversary. And I don't know enough about Pokemon to tell you. 25 years. There you go. Yeah. So they do tend to do these little like one-off presentations um, for various franchises or IP when things like this come around. So they're they're really interesting in the way they do their marketing um, because they'll kind of just drop stuff whenever. Um, And yeah, so that's what this was. It was a Pokemon anniversary stream. They're like, we're fucking Nintendo. We'll just drop yeah. shit when we fucking feel like it and you'll eat it up. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, this past year of the pandemic has actually shaken up the way a lot of uh, game development companies, it, it, the uh, like the big, the big guys like Xbox, PlayStation, they're all kind of going in that direction now because mm. without in-person conventions, without these large in-person marketing events that used to exist, uh, they've all kind of realized that they can drop a thing whenever they want and own the attention in a way that you can't when you're all showing up to the same big event. So I really think the year of the pandemic has shaken up the way video games get marketed mm. across the board. Cause PlayStation also did a state of play this week, which is kind of mm. their version of a Nintendo direct, but go ahead and talk more about this uh, Nintendo event that they had. Yeah. Yeah. So the main things were just like, I'm sure a lot of people are Pokemon fans. I'm, I'm a pretty casual Pokemon fan. It was definitely one of the first games that I played as a kid that really kicked off my love of this sort of open world RPG. And that being said, Pokemon was never really a true open world. Um, It's uh, a very story-driven role-playing game, um, but you generally are on a path uh, that's that's fairly um, set out, laid out before you. You're basically traveling around a map fighting different gym leaders, uh, uncovering a plot by some group like Team Rocket or Team Magma or Team Aqua, who's trying to overtake the world of Pokemon and make Pokemon there uh, into fighting machines or what have you. So big news coming out of this event. So uh, for Verge, this is re- this was reported by Andrew Webster. Um, he writes... You know, basically the thing fans have been waiting for. Um, there's now this open world, truly open world Pokemon RPG that's coming to the N- Nintendo Switch. Um, this is super, super exciting. It's going to be called Pokemon Legends Arceus. Oh my god. I just realized I've pronounced Ar- I think it's Arceus. If it's Arceus, like Pokemon stands, um, feel free to drag me on Twitter. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it looks to be... Uh, just like this really big reimagination of the Pokemon formula. And again, this is uh, coming out on the eve of their 25 year anniversary of Pokemon. So it's cool that like a quarter century later, we're like finally evolving um, Pokemon, (laughs) but essentially the Pokemon company is describing this game as a pre-make. It's set like hundreds of years before every Pokemon game that we know today is set um, in a time before trainers, before gyms, um, before the concept of like any sort of culture or profession around Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very like very open spanning, like I'm talking like big open fields, forests, different terrain, weather, um, a much more, solo journey where um you're really like one of the first like anthropologists of pokemon basically or is an anthropologist people what paleontologist whatever you're studying pokemon (laughs) um and 
the story takes place in Sinnoh, which was a, a, a land that was introduced uh, in the Diamond and Pearl series of the game, which is also exciting because the other thing that was announced was that Pokemon Diamond and Pearl are going to be remade for the Switch, which is also super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also in Verge, uh, posted by Megan Farouk Manesh. Um, but Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl will be launching in late 2021. Um, the original Diamond and Pearl launched in 2006. I think Sinnoh was the f- one of the first uh, Pokemon iterations where people started to be like, okay... Y'all are getting lazy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sinnoh is the generation that introduced Drifloon, which is an infamous Pokemon. Um, If you couldn't tell by, if you couldn't insinuate from the name Drifloon, um, Drifloon actually came under fire because it, was designed to look like a literal fucking balloon. Uh, (laughs) I think this generation also had this Pokemon that looks like a fucking ice cream cone. Like people were basically like, okay, y'all, we get (laughs) that you're trying to release new Pokemon games every couple of years, but we can tell inspiration is getting a little tight when you're making (laughs) Pokemon that look like a literal balloon. (laughs) Um, As someone who enjoyed Pokemon, like you would still expect to find things to enjoy from the game. And it just started to become so formulaic that it was felt like you could just feel that it, um, was becoming more of a franchise than like a truly um, uh, thought through, like cutting edge new title. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that I'm, I'm so like I feel like now that I'm making a podcast and I know so much about what goes into games, like I have I have all these disclaimers where I'm like, and I don't blame the developers either. I blame <laughs> the marketing team. Um, <laughs> but. It's cool to see that Sinnoh is the place where they're deciding to take this new direction mm-hmm. um, and explore this pre-make. Um, the, these remakes, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, they said they're going to be faithful remakes of the originals, um, but they have this uh, really cool updated style that's very reminiscent of, um, it's like kind of got this cell-shaded, kind of chibi, cute, yeah, almost anime-ish look um, that fans of like Animal Crossing and Temtem will probably find very fun. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to these stories. Um, I know you're not as big into Pokemon, but I don't know if... The, yeah, I mean, I didn't... About the Nintendo news. I was a Nintendo kid growing up, and I, I do think there's a certain amount... You know, you, Pokemon was made for kids originally. Like, I've often heard it referred to as baby's first RPG um, mm. as, like, a way to introduce kids to the concepts of RPGs and RPG mechanics. And I think mm. that's pretty apt. I tried to play Pokemon Sword um, when it when that came out. I put a decent amount of time into it, but mostly felt like it was just a pretty mindless game. I will say the, the open world uh, game... The open world they're showing here, that trailer looked interesting. It did look like the game was chugging a little bit on the Switch hardware. And I saw someone making a joke. They, like, posted the picture of the huge open world with nothing in it. And they're like, ah, my favorite art style. (laughs) Hardware limitations. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, now I'm hearing people speculate that we're going to maybe see this game launch with a Switch Pro. In early 2022 oh. and, you know, Switch Pro launching with Splatoon 3, this new Pokemon game, uh, open world Pokemon and um, Breath of the Wild 2, which that would be cool. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. So 
we'll see what comes of it. I am I am interested in this game. I'm keeping an eye on it. The I didn't really see anything in the Diamond and Pearl remakes that caught my eye. I mean, I think the Pokemon mm-hmm. are really cute. I like the idea, but I would I just want to be like more involved in raising them. It's why some of the stuff you were saying about Temtem intrigued me, but I ultimately never ended like the up the breeding it. system. Yeah, the yeah. the breeding and just just it being more complex than mm-hmm. you just catch them and use them. Um yeah. Which yeah, it's just kind of at a certain point I just got bored of trying to go catch new Pokemon in Sword because I didn't really need them. I could win the battles without them and I yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just a little too easy and light on mechanics. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm interested. It caught my eye. That was an interesting thing about Temtem. So Temtem's another it uh, the development team was very like grew up loving Pokemon. Um, wanted to make a game that paid tribute to Pokemon while sort of making it more playable by people who weren't just kids. Um, and the team at Temtem, it's interesting, just when you mentioned the breeding system, like they've introduced this mechanic in the game where it actually rewards you for releasing Temtem uh, and, and catching new ones and training them. So already, it, it they did some, I won't get <laughs> all into it, but um, just what you said about you know, making it more of a, doing more world building, like making it deeper, really showing me what it's like to live with and raise and train Pokemon besides just collecting them. Um, I, I love, I love that train of thought. And so I'm hopeful now that you mentioned it, like folks should definitely Google like Pokemon Legends trailer. Um, because I also noticed too, that like the, the main player seemed to be the only human in the game. <laughs> and it was very much just these sweeping vistas yeah. and the trainer throwing a pokeball at the pokemon sneaking it like there was some sneak yeah. action yeah. there was some hiding in the grass to sneak up on pokemon and catch them by surprise but so far it just kind of looked like pokemon snap with more bells and whistles yeah um so and pokemon snap is just a game where you're you're driving around taking pictures of pokemon um so yeah like when you say that i do wonder if um there's just way more that they need to work on, but that is also a little dubious because it's supposed to come out early 2022. Yep. Or if there's just some mechanics they can't show us. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So um, on a completely different note, like we've got some fun and light gaming news this week. And then we also have <laughs> the bad shit. But um, <laughs> basically, so it's no secret by now to most people who are somewhat online that J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter series, is a huge TERF. TERF is shorthand for trans-exclusionary radical feminists, um, basically people who really vehemently believe in um, biological essentialism in in the sense that sex determines gender and gender is not something that we have a choice in defining. Um, and that's trans women specifically should be physically excluded from female identity. Um, and it's funny because like a lot of TERFs like to complain saying like, oh, like your TERF is a slur and you're just calling us like what we call you and when we call you slurs. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it, First of all, TERF was coined in Australia by a white heterosexual cisgender woman um, in like the early 2000s or something. So like, first mm-hmm. of all, we didn't 
you created this to name yourselves. <laughs> um, and also trans exclusionary radical feminist is literally what you are. So I don't know what else you want us to call you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, JK Rowling, like, it's very, like, I don't really want to talk about it because I'm trans and it hurts my feelings. And I also don't need to be on here traumatizing my fellow trans listeners. But like JK Rowling has said and done things that are violent to trans people Mm -hmm. um, and really hurtful to her fans. Um, And it's just, it's sad because Harry Potter, I mean, what is that other than a story about finding your place among a world that doesn't want you? Um, Like Harry, uh, he had, he uh, was targeted by a lot of people as a child. Like people would see the scar on his face and they would immediately reject him or be afraid of him or call him, like ostracize him. Um, Of course, there were other people who thought he was so amazing because of his scar or the boy who lived persona was placed upon him and and people were drawn to him. I don't know. I just think there's a lot there that that relates to the trans experience. He was like either tokenized or demonized. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's sad how you can write a story like that uh, that means so much to so many people and you yourself be a piece of shit. But um, so JK Rowling, there is a game coming out um, 2022 maybe, or maybe late this year. Yeah. So 2022 is all they've said at this point. Okay. Um, and yeah, their reasoning was just like that they were behind because of the pandemic and they're trying to avoid crunch. And and a lot of people were also speculating that maybe they're just trying to, um, because JK Rowling had been specifically mm. vocal. Um, mm-hmm. She picked last summer to like drop her shit opinions again and remind everyone that she's an asshole. So I, yeah. there's some speculation that they're trying to like pivot further away from that. Although uh, it's not really going to help them too much uh, with the news that was dropping this week. Yeah. So uh, Patricia Hernandez was reporting um, for Polygon and essentially it has come out. So a journalist named Liam Robertson posted a Twitter thread highlighting that. Um, so the game is called Hogwarts Legacy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's a new game being developed. That's basically going to be an RPG where you are a student at Hogwarts and it's going to be really cool and really fun. We're all going to get to go to Hogwarts and yay. But <laughs> <laughs> the Hogwarts Legacy lead designer, Troy Levitt, uh, it came out that he kept a YouTube channel that was full of like really out there far right content. Mm-hmm. Um, videos by Levitt included defenses of men who were accused of sexual harassment, defenses of cultural appropriation, discussions on whether or not thought crimes were real, um, defending pedophiles, defend being sympathetic to the Gamergate movement. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar, Gamergate um, is a quote unquote movement. Mm. I feel like it's actually be qualified as a like hate group, Mm. um, which specifically harasses women and marginalized people in the video game industry under the guise of it being about journalism ethics. I know there are lots of people out there who are like, separate the art from the artist. Like, um, I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, I don't believe in that as an argument that you can actually make to someone. I think some people are capable of doing the Mm -hmm. mental gymnastics or, due to whatever privileges they have, wherever they sit socially, they are able to separate the art from the artist. But I don't think that's a legitimate argument you can make to someone as a thing that they should do. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily judge people who can do it. Um, mm-hmm. As long as they are understanding of why some people can't. Exactly. 
Yeah, like I fucking listen to Kanye West. Mm-hmm. I fucking watch the Harry Potter movies. I who else hates me that I listen to? You know, like it's <laughs> like if you're a marginalized person in America, I think that it's just how to get through the day and have a social life is like doing this at, at some level. And so, you know, of course there are hundreds of people involved in the creation of this game, and and of course, like. Troy Lovett is not responsible for the entire, um, like, like I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's, there's companies of, of hundreds of people who are involved yeah. in creating Hogwarts Legacy. So I'm not necessarily saying Troy Lovett has shitty opinions. So fuck this entire project and all of the hard work and passion that's going into it from people who aren't bigots. But at the same time, it just speaks to like, we talk about, how we're taking strides in, in diversity and inclusion. And it's, I, at the end of the day, it's still like these big projects and, and, uh, and IPs and stuff are being given to these men who are crap. I, I'm not articulating this very well, but. <laughs> no, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. It's like, there's, there's such a diversity of folks out there who have uh, interesting and new ideas who want to make games, who, might be struggling to get funding, might be struggling to get platforms. And it, it when we unearth stuff like this, it's just like, oh, cool. Uh, another shitty person was given a platform and given power over something. And then the fact that it's also tied to this IP that's really tainted by the IP creator being an asshole. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just exhausting. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. it, and it sucks on a lot of levels. And, and I feel for like, Every developer that's worked on this game who doesn't hold these opinions, who who poured their blood, sweat, and pixels callback mm-hmm. into, into making this game, <laughs> and now it's it's mm-hmm. all tied up in this. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, like, I don't know if I'm going to buy this game. Like, yeah. I, and what you said just made me think of how, like, um, I feel like we like I think about that conversation we had last time about Assassin's Creed and how a very Mm -hmm. diverse team makes the game, Mm -hmm. but what's communicated to the public is a very narrow and white male centric story. Mm -hmm. And I think in the same way, I'm sure that the team who's making the Harry Potter game is incredibly diverse, but we still define diversity as like inviting others into a white supremacist space yes, yeah. and expecting them to adjust to that mm-hmm. so like until we start from the top down and, and and just stop thinking that just because this white dude who talks the loudest is readily available and known by a lot of people like is that really who's going to make the best game that meets the diversity of all the players out there who play these games like can we just sort of like rethink how the structure of these things? Yeah. Well, and that's like when it comes to those, those kinds of things, like I don't see, and and I say this as someone who works in an organization that's part of an institution that is steeped in white supremacy. And we are actively trying to question how we can dismantle that white supremacy from the inside. And I guess, you know, catch me on different days about what my level of hope is for that. But I, I do think there's a real question of whether or not it's truly plausible to change something like that from within that system 
or whether mm-hmm. you need to just find a different space and build it from scratch. And so when mm-hmm. I look at like game development as a whole, the it we're going to see these kinds of things get broken up in the indie studios and the studios that are creating themselves from the forefront without this white supremacy mm-hmm. mentality, asking a huge company like WB or Ubisoft mm-hmm. to reconfigure themselves to remove the white supremacy from their structure it, you're asking them to like break themselves down to a cellular level and and reconstruct themselves and i mm. i don't want to say it's impossible because i don't want to be an unhopeful person and it's something that like i'm participating in an organization that's actively trying to do this but i don't i don't know it's that's an mm-hmm. incredibly tough task to lay on on them and that doesn't mean they shouldn't be committed to trying to do it like i'm not i'm not Mm -hmm. excusing it either but i'm just saying that like i don't as a person who like wants to see those kinds of things happen i'm not warner bros ubisoft these are not the places i'm looking towards as the first Mm -hmm. places i'm going to see that change happen and where i'm gonna uplift it yeah 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 and so um as jamie was mentioning like warner brothers is fully aware of troy's like behavior um, so in 2018, uh, Troy Lovett said that while Warner Brothers does not explicitly endorse the things he says on his channel, at quote, at least they seem more concerned with making good games than with pushing some kind of a social justice agenda. So there is hope, end quote. Uh, <laughs> which is just like, again, um, I I hate like this concept of they're more concerned with making good games it's like as if uh, including more perspectives does not create good games. Exactly. Like, like a good game cannot exist completely uh, produced from an island. Like good design in general is created when you have as many perspectives and you're solving for as many different experiences as possible. So like you're not going to make good games if, if you're a bigot. Like I'm just, you're just not. Like who's going to want to play that shit? Yep. Uh, I just, there was something else he said that I just wanted to share because it was another perfect gem. He says, quote, after all, I'm a white male myself. And so my mere existence is assumed to be part of the problem, end quote. (laughs) It just, it always amazes me how victimized these folks are. Like, um, Mm -hmm. they really feel like they're oppressed being a white guy and not having their constant spew of hate, like any consequence to that, it feels like a personal attack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it makes me not particularly excited for Hogwarts Legacy. It's <sighs> just don't want to support this guy. Yeah, for me, it's really just like, and, and I don't know, I, you know, cut to 2022 when I'm fucking pre, when I'm like pre downloading this game. But right now, when I think about it and the idea of doing it, it's like, I just don't want to put money in this guy's pocket. I don't want to put money in J.K. Rowling's pocket. And again, like, for folks who are planning to buy the game and enjoy it, like, this isn't a judgment on you. No. I think it's a personal choice. Um, It's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch you play it or maybe I'll get a copy for free somehow or maybe I'll wait five years and play it in the future but yeah it just 
though this world profits too much already from exploiting people like me and the last thing I want to do like I'm already reminded that trans people aren't always thought about in games Mm -hmm. and so when it's made ultra ultra clear that like I'm probably gonna have to deal with a bunch of cishet bullshit in this game just because that's what happens when someone like that designs a game even if it's not explicitly like this game hates trans people (laughs) like there are just little microaggressions that come about when something is designed by people who see the world in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just not sure if I want to spend a hundred plus hours living in that world. Yep. It's totally fair. Well, let's go ahead and transition into our interview for you folks today. I promise this mm-hmm. will be more fun than a conversation so about fun. dickheads. Um, today we are chatting with the lovely Alex Korobelnikova. She is a co-founder of Egnut, a remote decentralized indie game studio, where she also does narrative design, biz dev, and marketing, specifically on the studio's upcoming game Backbone, uh, which is a noir role-playing adventure about a raccoon detective in a dystopian Vancouver. And uh, you'll definitely Fuck yeah. you'll definitely hear us chat about that a bit in the episode. Go look up a trailer for Backbone. It looks so cool. The art style is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Their Twitter account is fire. <laughs> their Twitter account's great. And especially after talking with Alex, uh, I'm even more excited to check this game out. It's supposed to come out later this year. Um, Alex also in her, what I have to assume is her non-existent free time. Uh, she's an advisor for Kowloon Knights, which is a global video game investment fund dedicated to supporting premium independent developers around the world. So as we talk about, you know, how do we start breaking up all this white supremacy and get resources Mm -hmm. into the hands of people who have, uh, interesting and diverse perspectives cut to Kowloon Knights, man. Um, yeah, they provided funding for games like Spirit Fair which Spencer and I talked a lot about in an earlier episode. And they're also funding the upcoming She Dreams Elsewhere, which is a game I'm really excited for uh, coming out this year that focuses thematically on emotions, mental health, and self-identity. So Alex is just a really cool person. She's involved in very cool stuff. Uh, But y'all don't need me to tell you this. Uh, Without further ado, here is our interview with Alex. Hello, and thank you for joining us in the Pixel virtual Pixel Therapy Studio. Um, wonderful guests, can you take a moment to share your name, your pronouns, and just a little bit about who you are and how you spend your time? Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I listened a little bit to the podcast, and it seemed wonderful, and I really oh. love podcasts uh, in general. So, yeah, thank you for doing it. Um, my name is Alexandra Korabelnikova. In short, I'm Alex. Um and my pronouns are she, her. I'm basically uh, coming from Russia. <laughs> I'm Sasha from Russia. And <laughs> <laughs> I make video games as a living, uh, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by choice, too, which is crazy. Um, it's a huge privilege. And also uh, the amount of existential dread that comes with it is mm. inexpressible. Um, yeah, I'm part of the team of 17 people and co-founder of the studio called Egnat. And we founded the studio about four years ago and we have been remote from day one. So we're mm. based across six different countries. Uh, we're pretty diverse. Like majority of the studio are women or women and defined people. And yeah, uh, it's just like a very strange uh, destiny that brought us all together to work on this first game that's called Backbone. And mm-hmm. It's a dystopian 
role-playing adventure where you play as a detective raccoon in Vancouver, BC, in Canada. And it's basically like a quintessential um, experience of our lives growing up in Russia in a dystopian mm. state. <laughs> mm. And yeah, we've been making it for four years now and that's mostly what I do during the day. And I'm currently finishing the narrative on it, which have been going for many years Ooh. and it feels crazy. Like it feels incredible and also exhausting and scary because yeah. what if it's bad and you never know, <laughs> like until it's done, you never know if it's good or not. Um, but yeah, this is where I am right now. Just um, writing words every day mm. Mm. <laughs> until they're all written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when you're writing, I mean, when you're working on a game for four years, like how do you how do you know that you're nearing completion with the writing? Like how do you how do you put the finishing touches on something that's taken so long and and been so massive? By crying a lot, mostly, <laughs> by looking at it and thinking that it's really bad and wanting to remake all like 120,000 words that are in there already mm. and just start from scratch, but then convincing yourself that it's, first of all, it's not your decision to make. There are other people. Mm. <laughs> Second, um, there's a deadline. Like we need to release it in order to have income and finish mm. it and have money to continue working on future games, hopefully, or other type of art and just have a living and be happy for one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, mm -hmm. it's a goal. <laughs> yeah. As someone with no willpower, I really, that really resonates of it. Other people are now involved in this. And so I can't just stop. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, that's a very powerful motivator. Um, and let's back up a little bit to something you said earlier. Um, how does someone who hates games uh, end up founding an indie game studio? Um, so <laughs> hate is a very strong word, but yeah, people who know me good, well, they probably think that about me as well. Um, I, my friend Nikita, who is currently in Vancouver, but we were born in the same city, uh, Krasnoyarsk, in the middle of Siberia, 4,000 kilometers away from Russia, or from Moscow, sorry, from Russia. It's basically the middle of Russia, middle of nowhere. Like, mm. Russia is two butt cheeks, and Krasnoyarsk is like <laughs> <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> and, and what's yeah. the weather like in, oh, in the butthole up. of Russia's oh. butt cheeks? <laughs> Butthole type of weather, like it's in the summer, it's plus 35, in the winter, it's minus 30. You have to wear two pairs oh. of pants, oh. you have to wear fur coats or some shit, like in order to survive. Mm. And mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I think I have PTSD about that, but mm. um, I haven't talked to my therapist about it yet. I will, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Just <laughs> add it to promise. the list. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he messaged me and he was like, hey, um, I retweeted something about like. Um, architectural design in The Witness. It was just, mm. I'm that type of person who's like, I get really interested in things and then I read all about them and then I don't care anymore. And mm. <laughs> that was like one of those things. And he was like, oh, d you're definitely making video games, right? Like, let's make one together. I'm like, no, I send, uh, I sell send for a living. Like, this is my <laughs> job. I, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Siberia selling sand. I'm a saleswoman. Like a sand, like S-A-N-D? Yeah. Wow. That's a job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. What, what do people do with the sand? Yeah, what kind of sand? Is this like 
They put it in fence boxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so for landscaping. Okay. Uh, Yeah, for like, uh, it's a weird story, but uh, basically I was like project manager on a development of a video game that's like AR sandboxes. There's a projector Mm -hmm. on top of a pile of sand. Like you build a volcano and it erupts Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, so cool. And basically just a weird concept. And I got entangled into it for two years. Um, So I knew I had some ideas about how development is done with pipeline. Mm -hmm. Like I I want, I thought I wanted to be a project manager Mm -hmm. and I told my friend Nikita, who is my co-founder that, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. (laughs) Why not? Like I'm already doing the most boring shit ever. Obviously I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. And we, uh, Nikita came up with this concept of like sci-fi horror game. And we Mm -hmm. just, had calls and had a wonderful time just brainstorming stuff. Then we were on a call and raccoons attacked his backyard uh, in oh. Vancouver and we couldn't stop laughing about it. Like, like imagine in a game where you play as a raccoon strategically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like strategically stealing people's trash. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it just kind of grew into this, you are a raccoon detective uh, and you are in a dystopian society. And we built this, you know, like lore around it where different species of animals do different shit. Mm-hmm. And like uh, stand on different social um, steps of a ladder. So yeah, and it kind of grew from there. And now I'm making games for a living and <laughs> convincing other people to do it with me, which is awesome. not fair. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, like you you looped them in somehow, but now they're stuck with you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Backbone, um, it sounds like a really cool game. Uh, Jamie and I were talking about it this morning and uh, checking out the trailers and the the art and different the various press that's, that's been out about it. Um, but as Alex was mentioning, you are playing a raccoon detective and you're really going about, uh, you're, you're sniffing out clues, you're finding evidence, you're interrogating witnesses, you're solving puzzles. Um, it's got a beautiful like noir kind of art style, this mix of pixels uh, with more like textural effects of like, I saw this scene of like a cityscape with raindrops hitting the windows and um, uh the, a soundtrack described as doom jazz, which I'm very much looking <laughs> forward to, um, having played Persona and realizing that jazz is something I want more of in my life. And so how did, like you mentioned, uh, raccoons attacking Akita's yard. Um, how, what drew you specifically to uh, the, being the narrative designer for Backbone? Like, where did the story come from? Um, what themes and emotions are kind of explored in, in Backbone? Well, it didn't draw me. I was like, <laughs> I had no choice, basically. Voluntold. <laughs> exactly. We couldn't find a writer. Like, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm, basically I spend my days uh, consuming media and being critical about it. And like, uh, I was in the place when we started this project four years ago where I was just, you know, like systemically trying to understand like, the problems that are in the society, like how everything's mm-hmm. fucked up. I was reading Second Sex by Simone de Beauvoir. Mm. I was like that person, you know, who was like, everything <laughs> is fucked and forever yeah. and there's nothing we can do about it. And nobody <laughs> believed me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was really um, into the idea of like dissecting media and how it affects us as people and like our identities and how, 
all the systemic issues and discrimination practices are kind of mirrored in the media. So, yeah, that was just like one of the interests in my life at that point and kind of grew into my main interest, I guess. So, yeah, I was that person on the team who was like, like, if we can't do it right, we, like, there's nobody else to do it uh, and I have to do it. Um, and that's a very egotistical and maybe not right, but it worked at the moment. And I'm kind of happy it um, worked out this way because I truly believe that art should be about something that is personal uh, to you. And this way people will have a chance to relate to it and find themselves in it. And like, there'll be a tiny mirror, you know, like if it's true, if it's something that moves you, it might move other people. So I started looking for things that move me and this kind of moment of realization where you live a normal life, everything is okay, you agree with stuff, you know, like you agree with uh, preconceptions of what makes up the society, makes up your place in it. And then something comes up and you're like, wait a minute, everything is wrong. Like there are so many different systems and they're all interacting with each other and like everything is intersectional and like it overwhelms you and the veil gets lifted Mm. exactly like a lot of people i talk to they experience this sort of existential crisis i Mm. i was like 22 or 20 years old when it happened to me and it was a big turning point in my life and this was the uh backbone (laughs) of (laughs) the story uh process for me like I wanted to convey that feeling where you realize and you change Mm. and you understand that you can't really change anything about it you have to learn how to live with it and do small Mm. steps to make it better for yourself and your small Mm. bubble so yeah um this is uh, this feeling is where the whole world building came from like it could it, it could have been just a game about being a raccoon stealing trash but I decided to complicate things as usual and we kind of build <laughs> this horror you know systems around it like what kind of species you are it all depends on your social standing and we looked at different media with anthropomorphic animals like black sad for example um the color of your fur uh, mm. dictates your position in society or Zootopia, uh, but all of those type of media, they all kind of got it wrong. Like this is not how the world works. Like it's not just because you look this way, but because there were different systems that were established through difficult processes uh, by other people that put you in this spot. And this is kind of what we wanted to explore by making the species uh, like a social class, economical class, and um, yeah. This was interesting to explore in the world building. That's fascinating. And like, I love what you said about how, you know, because of how big and overarching and integrated into society these systems are, like all we can do is get up every day and make small actions, small decisions that push us towards change push us towards happiness, whatever that can look like in this world. Um, and it's like, what is making a game of it then getting up every day and completing a bunch of very small tasks over and over again for years until one day you get up and four years later, something beautiful and fully formed is, is coming forth. Like it's just such a beautiful cyclical thing that I think you are speaking to just now. Um, I love on it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, they touched me right now, honestly, 
because I haven't thought about it like that. Like because I've been just living in this for so long, and it's really difficult to look back and think that it was like I was making a decision every day mm. to continue it, and everybody on our team was, you know, like um, because it's hard. It's very difficult because you don't see an end to it. Like there is no mm. end destination. Like at least in life, it's fucking death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like at least you can look forward to it, you know. But here yeah. it's like. Oh, there is this mythical release day and like first four years, you don't even know when it's coming and you don't have money to eat and pay your people. Mm. Then you find money and then like you have a plan, you hire a project manager. Uh, there's something forming in the air, but you would never know. Like you never know what you're making until you've made it. And that's fucked. And this is only true about video games, I think. Yeah. Like with books, it's a bit different and with movies as well. Like the movies are born in the editing booth, but they're still in your head, like of a director. We don't have one person who has all of it in their head. Like it's all redistributed through the hive mind that is the studio. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what's going to (laughs) happen. Right. It's so organic and everything, every piece has to be working in unison and and fall into place at the right time for it to all come together. Like it's so, it's so much like life. (laughs) There was something um, that the team had said about Backbone um, in another interview, and it was just that as you had mentioned earlier, that it's a story based on your real experiences growing up in a dystopian state with rigid social order dictating who you can be and who you can never attempt to become. Um, And I wanted to just take a minute to talk about um, dystopian storytelling here, because that's something that is uh, a theme in Backbone. Um, And just for folks who uh, maybe aren't as literary, uh, when we think about dystopian works, um, an early example of that could be um, the book by Jonathan Swift called Gulliver's Travels. It's considered uh, an early dystopian novel. Essentially, um, throughout his journey, a man named Gulliver encounters fictional societies, um, some of which at first seem ideal, utopian, um, but turn out to have these serious flaws. Um, for example, Gulliver encounters the flying island of Laputa, um, where scientists are pursuing these extravagant schemes um, and pushing the limit of like human knowledge. But at the same time, they're finding that they're neglecting the practical needs of the people who actually live below them on the island. Um, and essentially, uh, dystopian novels, uh, you know, imagine these worlds um, where certain trends in whatever contemporary society the author is living in or in in imagined futures are taken to these extremes um, where the the machinations of of capitalism, of uh, greed, of colonization, um, you know, uh, are pushed so far uh, to the point of it becoming terror and, and horror and um and and tales that sort of force us to look at ourselves um and think about where um the future can lead if we are not being intentional uh about what we're doing. Um and so, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of talk about that for a minute and um like why is it so important for stories like these to exist? Um that's a big question, but 
as someone who spent four years making a dystopian story, um, <laughs> wondering if you have thoughts on that. Like, what drove you to to really excavate what was lived experience for you and, and put it forth uh, into this game? It's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think what you described as dystopia is like a classic dystopia, same as noir. Like, there is a classic type of understanding of what we think about when we think about noir. It's like um, systemic uh, like issues and uh, corrupt government and there's mm. one hero who's like flawed and there's a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. But I think <laughs> both dystopia and noir should be modernized. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't live in the same world as people who lived in, who made noir stories and dystopian stories and also cyberpunk genre as well. Like it's outdated in its classic understanding of what it mm-hmm. means. Um, and I think my task here was to figure out what is modern dystopia. And mm. I watched a lot of, I read a lot of like Handmaid's Tale uh, is a wonderful piece of like modern dystopia, but still it has that element of like, imagination of what the future could look like if we continue to fuck up, uh, <laughs> you know, like we do right now. But with Backbone, um, there is still this element of, like, distancing. Like, everybody is an anthropomorphic animal. Mm-hmm. But it kind of serves as a metaphor. Like, there is enough distance between this world and the real world that we can tell those stories of, like, pe- real people's struggles that would be very difficult to tell if they were people and there was mm-hmm. no this you know, there was no this you know like layer of metaphor between this because that would hit too close home mm-hmm. and um but i think this is like the only uh fantastical element and my task with the backbone was to tell a very true uh story that is dystopian by looking at the world where i lived in for my whole life and like trying to explain how exactly it's fucked up in a very invisible way where people can continue to tell themselves that everything is okay and like live mm-hmm. their whole lives thinking that everything is according to plan. And Putin has been a president for the majority of my life. I'm 27 years old. He's been a president for 21 years old. Oh, 21 years, if not 21 years old. Thank God. Thank God. Oh, my God. He doesn't have long. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I will God celebrate. Willing. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a foul person. <laughs> I am waiting for this. <laughs> but, like, um, it's insane. Like, it's been such a huge part of our lives, of, like, our generation, that we don't know that it can be any other way. Like, mm-hmm. my parents, they don't they have lived through much worse before him. So that's why they think it's, it's okay now. Mm-hmm. And it's just a veil of propaganda and everybody like, uh, I don't know, patting each other on the shoulder and saying that this is fine. Everything is fine. And mm-hmm. the only way uh, to maybe understand that it's not and to start making some change is to look in the eyes of it and look mm-hmm. at the truth. And consider that, you know, like real people are in pain because of what's going on. And Mm. there was recently a law announced that basically uh, decriminalized um, domestic violence. Like a Mm. husband could kill his wife and nothing will be done out of it. 
or if she oh, comes okay. to the police and she will be the one put in prison. There was a dude who trigger warning. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But like just to give you an idea of what everyday living there could feel like when you're a woman or like a person from marginalized group of society, like your husband could cut off your hands in the forest and not go to prison for it. And everybody in the media will like blame you for this. Like this amount of uh, fucked upness, how yeah. do you, how do you process it? How do you mm-hmm. say that it's okay? I wanted to discover, you know, like all those mechanisms of uh, mental gymnastics of what makes it okay for people. And I think this is where the real modern dystopia lies. It's like just showing how it is and telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was really important for us to build the society in the backbone to say the truth about how real dystopian societies are built. They're invisible. Yeah. Like dystopias are invisible for people mm-hmm. who live in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so true. Like, where do you start when that kind of patriarchal, heteronormative, societal misogyny is just accepted as default and when it's been so long that it's hard becomes hard to remember another way or to it's can be scary when once you've adjusted to something to imagine another way um and yeah it's it it can make these these things feel insurmountable and i i love everything you're saying about um sort of making that more accessible and to to work through through a game you know, something that um, engages you on other levels besides fear. <laughs> There's a and lot I, of humor that we try to put into it. Part mm. of it is just us, pers- like, as personalities, like, I'm a mean person. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't <laughs> communicate without at least quoting two t- t- TikToks per minute. Like, <laughs> this is just who I am. There are a lot of jokes. There is a lot of humor to be found in everyday life. And mm-hmm. it is also a coping mechanism for a lot of mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, when you say that, like, I feel like even before it's, it's, it's not released yet. And yet there's so much, there's already a fandom for Backbone. There's fan art being made. There's a beautiful like social media community and following and, why do you think Backbone has already resonated so much with so many people um, before it's even out? <laughs> Damn, Was Zootopia like opened up a, mind. For a lot of it's people. <laughs> like we had no idea. Like furries are the modern art patrons of society. <laughs> like we had, are. we had fucking church commissioning art. We had uh-huh. just billionaires doing it before, like don't expect it from them now, like fucking. <laughs> and now they're furious, and it's incredible. I'm so glad. Like I'm also doing community management and all the social mm. media and the marketing and everything else. It's incredible. Like we had no idea when we done it in the first place. Like anthropomorphic animals would be such a huge pool for people, <laughs> and I love all of them. Like I even love the ones who send me inappropriate sexy stuff <laughs> like sexy stuff let's call it sexy stuff but also it's been three years uh of development until i saw howard's penis which is crazy <laughs> to me now you know I, i'm grateful now i know it's, it's great but yeah man i love i just love furries 
Thank, yeah. thank God for furries. <laughs> furries are so pure. They just, they know what they're about. And I think they're just a great example of that we can connect on, on our, our shared interests rather than what divides us. This is a podcast where we like to ask folks to talk about uh, certain games that they share an emotional connection with or a game that had an influence on their life in some way. You mentioned a couple games that you feel like you could go on on a, and I quote, uncontrollable rant about, (laughs) and that was Planescape Torment and Disco Elysium. Also, okay, I can't wait to talk about Disco Elysium because so interesting. I can't believe I've never played this game. I really have to play it. But um, let's talk about Planescape Torment first. Um, one of the top results when you Google Planescape Torment is, quote, why is Planescape Torment so good? Question mark. And so <laughs> I was wondering if you were trying to you know, describe this game to someone who'd never played it in a couple sentences, what would you say? It's ugly as fuck. And it's impossible to play it, but somehow, and it's also made by a prick. Uh, written, it's written by Chris Avalon, who is like a, a fucking sexual abuser or some shit. Ew, like, oh, no. fuck him. Uh, fuck him a lot, but honestly, uh, this is the uh, instance of like death of an author for me. Like this mm. single one. Like I will only kill the author this one mm-hmm. time and never again. But like, it's ugly. It's impossible. It's terrible. But it's it's the best piece of literature ever created, and it's great because it's interactive. Because it's a video game, mm-hmm. and I think it's the best game has, that has ever been made. And I think it's the only game that has ever been made. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's very difficult to get into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very hard to talk about as well. I gave myself a big challenge here. <laughs> yeah, Planescape uh, Torment has inspired a lot of games um, from Western RPGs like Morrowind to Japanese adventure games like Zelda um, it, or uh, The Legend of Zelda. Um, it always feels uh, completely familiar, one writer uh, describes it. It's it's based on uh, D&D kind of like role-playing um, tenants. Um but it's also a game that is very baffling and intriguing. And as Alex was saying, it's uh, very narratively deep. Um, and so we don't have to get necessarily too deep into the mechanics of this game. But how has this game influenced you? What does it mean to you? Hmm. It's interesting. So uh, I grew up with an older brother. And I basically, my experience with video games was watching Let's Plays that my Mm. brother was making, like sitting on his lap or like nearby in a chair and watching him play. And uh, the only genre that I've ever gotten interested in was adventure games, Uh, like Mm. Leisure Suit Larry, seven-year-old Alex playing Leisure Suit Larry, asking dad, what's a condom? Like that type of thing. Um, you know, like putt putt, <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, like Westwood Adventure Sierra games, and uh, it was like a very natural transition for me to go into RPG genre. And um, obviously, late '90s, early 2000s were the golden age of CRPGs, like Baldur's Gate, Morrowind, uh, like Neverwinter Nights, all that mm-hmm. stuff. 
Planescape Torment, uh, I played all of it. Like I played it religiously. I played it with mm. a dictionary. I learned English mm. by playing those games. And I went on to have an education in English translation because of it. Like I had wow. a notebook where I wrote down every new word I learned. I didn't want to play Russian translation. Like that was my kink, basically. <laughs> <As a teenager>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it made me feel really smart. Now I understand it's something probably on the spectrum, but you know, it mm-hmm. <laughs> explains a lot. But you know, um, <laughs> Planescape Torment was always like a weird white crow in the group of those, you know, CRPGs based on uh, D&D. I mm. tried to play it about 10 times and I could never finish like the first couple of environments because it just, it was so ugly and it was like, I couldn't understand mm. what's going on and why would I be interested in these characters in this Mid. world? Mm-hmm. And I only finished it about five years ago. Mm. Uh, I started playing it. I put in 60 hours into it. Then I was role playing a very like chaotic evil character, so I would be like fighting everybody <laughs> and mm-hmm. saying like "fuck you, don't talk to me like that," and like putting a sword in their mouth or stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I love one that. after my own heart. <laughs> exactly. And I met a dude, and he was like, "I'm a mage," and I'm like, "Cool, me too. Fuck you." And he was like, "Oh, don't talk to me like that. I will curse you with hiccups." I'm like, yeah, fuck you. And he cursed me with hiccups and I killed him. Yeah. Oh. I saved the game. And basically the hiccups in Planescape Torment means every time you move, your character does a hiccup and every action is slowed. You can't walk around the map. You can't oh, no. do dialogues. You can't play the game. Yeah. It's that sort of game. And my save files were corrupted. So I basically lost 60 hours of play playthrough due to being an evil prick. And yeah. that's when I knew. Like, I knew it was the greatest game ever. Consequences. Yeah. (laughs) I came back to it years mm -hmm. later and I finished it. And I'm so happy that I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something we've we've talked about in previous episodes is just how often games, you are the center of the universe and you are the most powerful person and the path sort of just unfolds before you and every choice you make is the right one. And it sort of creates this warped... Uh, egotistical, like, I don't know, just there's a lot to think about in terms of empathy and how games can uh, be both uh, tools for empathy, but can also work against you uh, or limit your view and, and of what it means to be a good person. Like, like, I feel like in a lot of, like, even in Assassin's Creed, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be nice and daintily walk among the guards and melt into the crowd and other times I'm like hey fuck you axe to the face I'm here bitches <laughs> and the game doesn't really punish me for that either way like I can come no. to this I can just fast travel come back to this town and, and it'll be like nothing happened <laughs> so the idea that a game like the rep- repercussions are lasting and really makes you think about your decisions and the influence you're having on this world I, I love games that do that and I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with you it sounds like the best game ever um that kind of brings me into like why it moved me is because the whole game is a tape tapestry of themes, characters, world building, story, plot, dialogues, fighting, like combat system. Everything is about one thing. Everything is connected. It is set in the world. Maybe now somebody is not familiar, but like D&D cosmology is basically there are different planes. 
-hmm. Planes are like uh, cosmoses, universes uh, that contain different planets and countries and spaces, etc. Every plane is uh, connected to an alignment. So there are nine alignments in an alignment system in D&D. It can be true neutral, good neutral, lawful neutral, chaotic good, chaotic evil, blah, blah, blah. I'm personally chaotic good. <laughs> and every plane kind of has that alignment and it needs to contain it in order to have the balance restored and like contained in the universe. Like in the chaotic evil plane, there are demons who fuck mm. you in the asshole if you come near them or something, you know, like you, you don't go there. Like it's hell on earth. In like lawful good universe, there are angels and like everything mm. like that. Um, there are human realms as well where games like Baldur's Gate take place. Planescape Torment is set in the world between worlds. It's the place mm. where everybody who dies in every plane comes before they are either resurrected or die forever. You wake up in this world. The city is called Sigil. It's a city of doors. Every door could lead you anywhere in the plain world. So even the fucking cosmology, mm. like it all talks to the themes of choice, consequences, like what it means to be a person, mm -hmm. what it means to have an alignment, you know, like you're in this mm -hmm. world between worlds. And the main character cannot die. And this is the main quest of the game, to find your death. Every time you die, you are resurrected. You meet different from you meet people from like the different factions, like they're dudes who are basically like very goth girlfriends type of situation. Mm -hmm. Like they're very into death, like they jerk off to death and they <laughs> want to die because they think like death is the only true purpose in life. Mm -hmm. Like there is no purpose to exist. Death is cool as fuck. And you can like be their friend and agree mm. to their philosophy or like you meet those uh automatons who are like order order is the most important everything in our world is like about the order and we're basically mechanisms who consist of order and every character you meet you've had a personal story with them in the past because you kind of mm. die you've had multiple lives and multiple personifications mm. and you build relationships with them anew or you relieve the shit you've done to them in the past. And all of them speak to certain themes that in the end come to the single theme of what can change the nature of men? Mm. What does it mean to be anything at all? And how strange it is. Okay, Jeff Mangum. I'm, uh, I'll let you slip that one in. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, first of all, uh, Nurture Mukatel, yeah, that's my favorite band. I'm trying to apologize. All right, we're going to have another hour-long sit-down <laughs> just talking about the Nurture Mukatel discography. Yeah. Um, but, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. See, I can have an uncontrollable rant about Planescape Torment because there is so much about it. And yeah. it's what made me realize that the true art that moves me personally, it's Everything, every component is about something. There is nothing mm. there that is just there to be there. Like everything is about everything. And it's mm. so fucking beautiful. And it takes so much big brain power to make something like this. And I love it. I, yeah, I like, think it's beautiful. That always blows my mind. Like games like that that are so fucking utterly cosmic. You're just like, yes. how did a per how did people do this? Like how? How? You need to do a lot of acid or be Japanese 
Seriously, acid is the way. (laughs) Okay, so Disco Elysium, I love that you brought it up as well as um, uh, Planescape Torment. I'm just going to, I want to read this uh, little passage from a Polygon article about Disco Elysium that came out in 2019 by Laura Dale. I think it proves a nice transition into this convo. Um, But she writes, Most video games that take inspiration from tabletop role-playing sessions tend to focus on traditional aspects of Dungeons & Dragons. Disco Elysium, however, feels like playing a tabletop role-playing campaign with a DM who got into the game through 5th edition tabletop podcasts and who doesn't mind getting very, very silly with things. There's no reliance on established lore and settings, but there is a much heavier focus on role-playing a consistent character through an interesting story. Combat is minimized as much as possible, reduced to narrative choices about whether to pick a fight. The game's core loop is more about understanding who your character is and playing them truthfully. And so I found this fascinating in contrast with Planescape Torment, which is another D&D-inspired role-playing game that is so that was so good at establishing a standard for other games to emulate that it inspired so many future games um, while doing incredible things with narrative, as, as Alex was just describing. Um, and Disco Elysium seems to take that and kind of like throw it out the window in the best possible way. Um, and so I was curious to hear from you, um, like, tell us about Disco Elysium. Uh, let's start there. Like, let's start with a sentence about like, um, let's describe this game. <laughs> I really like their blurb on Steam page. It's like, become the best cop in the world or an absolute disaster of a human being. <laughs> it's, yes. again, fucking life. Like, mm-hmm. you can do the same in real life. You can be a very good cop or an absolute disaster of a human being. Like, it's up to you. Obviously, it's not just up to you. It's about a lot of different things. But Discollegium has the same soul for me. Like mm-hmm. as Planescape Torment, because in Planescape Torment, you are the one processing the story through your head and deciding what you want your character to be. Because in the end of the game, like you decide, you meet your past re- reincarnations. Like there is an evil dude and a happy dude and a dude who was just fucking gave up and did nothing. And then there's a dude who sold his soul and that's why he can't die. Mm. And you kind of decide, are you any of those people? And this is what we do every day. Like we look mm. at our past and we decide how it defines us. In discoism, you are in the same shoes. Like you wake up after an alcoholic bender, you don't know who you are. Mm. You slowly regain your memories as a character. They're established by writers, but you as the player are the one who is deciding what they mean to you and whether you're going to roll with them or not and how you're going to interpret them basically how we decide every day how we're going to interpret something we did in the past and how it's going to define us. Sorry for repeating myself, but this is, I think, the essence of human condition in general. You know, like, how do these fucking societal systems and our relationships to other people define us as a person? Can we change that? Like, what changes the nature of men? What changes the nature of an alcoholic cop who is shitty at his job and there is a murder that he's not investigating and his wife left him. Sorry for spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and who, who does he decide to be in the end? And also everything in this game is also connected, but it's mm-hmm. so refreshing and modern in how political it is because there is like a whole fucking spectrum 
of not alignment systems, of not good and bad, like in D&D, but of political spectrum. Like, mm. alt-right, left-wing communists, like, there's this whole story to this world that's, like, exactly like it is in real world. Nothing is simple. Everything is difficult. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, you get to decide what you believe in. You can be a Nazi cop, or you can mm. be a hobo cop, or you can be a communist cop, or you can just go around and like collect plastic bottles and do nothing, and your mm. partner will be very disappointed in you. <laughs> like there are so many tiny mirrors that are looking at you all at the same time, and you can see yourself in at least one of them, and it's beautiful having that opportunity to relate to something so deeply through choices of words you choose, basically, because the whole game is just text. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Right. And something that I found fascinating about this game. Um, so this is another passage that stood out to me from this IGN piece. Um, and it says, it's often the little things that make Disco Elysium feel truly magical. Things like the character icon on the UI being a smudged blur, appearing as a detailed face only if you decide to look in a mirror, and even then having its appearance dictated by the character's view of themselves. The game tracks the conversations in which you discuss your own appearance and adjusts the image in the mirror appropriately. Your image is not a fact. It's something that's based on your own feelings and decisions about yourself. This is heady territory for a role-playing game, but it also feels much more real than the character portraits in most other games in this genre. We can never see ourselves objectively, and having a game own that fact is a freeing experience. Um, I, was, I was reading about something where there's this idea of um, how ideas become internalized in Disco Elysium. Yeah. Um, so that this idea of how your appearance changes based on how you see yourself, um, your dialogue choices literally construct your identity. Like, for example, um, I read this example where if you are someone who um, in various different conversations speaks favorably about women, um, you might internalize the uh, quality of being a feminist. Yes. And being a feminist gives you different stats, uh, like affects your, I don't know, the stats in Disco Elysium, but like your attack or your fortitude or whatever would be affected based on the different ideas that you internalize. And once an idea is internalized, much like in real life, it's very difficult to get rid of it. It takes work. Um, to get rid of uh, of a stat once it has been internalized. Yeah. And I, I love this idea of applying this system, like a game system, to something that is like a real thing. <laughs> it's fucked up. Like, I, I have bipolar type 2, and I have a lot of intrusive thoughts uh, connected mm -hmm. also to, like, ADHD and all of that. Like, I stay around at night just thinking, and I don't want to be thinking those thoughts. They just mm -hmm. come into my fucking head, and I can't mm -hmm. get rid of them. Disco Elysium gave me, like, I cry when I think about it because mm -hmm. it was the first time I felt that this experience was represented because mm. all facets of your personality are talking to you and you can't make them shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Like this is basically it. Like you're talking to a person and suddenly you're like the part of your brain that hears the voices of the streets start talking to you. Mm. You're like, no, stop it. Like I don't want to. Not hear right it. now. Like, yeah. Not right now. Like I can't do this right now. Or like, I don't know. Um, there are no... Uh, stats like strength or agility, you know, none of that classic RPG shit, but it's more like 
um, how you communicate with cops and you have that hive mind being a cop. You can hear the thoughts of different uh, different cops or how you can hear the thoughts of the streets or, you know, like your um, how you relate to drugs and how much they affect you because you can fucking get drugs in this game and it uh, it's not a negative thing. Like it never judges you for making any choice because in real life, um, it might seem like everybody judges you, but in, tr- in true, like nobody gives mm. a shit what you do. Right. Honestly, it, mm-hmm. you're the only person who is affected by it in the end, because all you have from the day you're born and until you die is yourself. There is nobody else. It's just you and your voice is in your head. And it's mm-hmm. beautiful how all of that is done through gameplay and through interaction. It's not just text. It's, your actions and your thoughts actually shape how you experience this game and how many mirrors you get to see and relate to. And I think it's the most beautiful piece of art ever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Alex, it has, I, this hour has zoomed by. It's been absolutely incredible having this time with you. Thank you so much for spending it with us. Um, Okay. When is Backbone coming out and how can folks stay up to date with everything that Eggnut is working on? Um, it's coming out in the Q2 this year, so summer. Uh, we don't know when yet, but you never know until it's done. So, yeah, give us some exactly. time, please. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, at Backbone Game on Twitter, and uh, there's also the website, uh, eggnut.net, and there is a free prologue, one-hour prologue that you can play right now. It's like the first act of the story. It's on Steam. It's called Backbone Prologue. And, yep. Yeah, this is a general ways to stay up to date with the game. Awesome. And what about you? Uh, where can folks find you online? And is there anything you're working on that you would like folks to know about? Um, my Twitter is Almighty Plate. Recently also joined Kaloon Nights, which is like a fund that's trying to change uh, shit up in the industry by giving people money to make cool games which is really exciting um i could talk for hours about it as well but you know (laughs) this is what i'm doing this is my life uh well it will be over soon (laughs) so cheers (laughs) to that (laughs) cheers thank you alex for joining us on pixel therapy thank you is up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly help us stream (laughs) exactly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode there are lots of ways you can support us for free including following us on Instagram and other social media at Pixel Therapy Pod, or by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Those things are just as important, and we appreciate them. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture, news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our delightful website at pixeltherapypod.com. 
Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week's side quest is the Sister Center. Thank you so much to Alex for the suggestion. The Sister Center is a Russian non-governmental nonprofit organization that helps survivors of sexual violence and was founded by a group of women in Moscow in 1994. The Sister Center provides assistance free of charge anonymously and unconditionally to all who ask for help regardless of gender, identity, official place of residence, or any other basis. The center does not currently receive aid from any charitable foundations, Russian or foreign. Under the current political and economic conditions in Russia, their fundraising options are shrinking with each passing day and with each charitable charitable foundation's departure from Russia. They have sustained themselves almost entirely on private donations, enabling the continued work of their hotline. Um, Their hotline answers calls on weekdays from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Moscow time, and anyone can reach them at plus seven four nine 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 zero one zero two zero one. To learn more about the Sisters Center and to donate, please visit sisters-help.ru slash donation underscore eng dot html. Gotta love those Russian websites. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Pixel Therapy. therapy. Bye-bye.